Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to History Rage, the podcast where we invite historians and the heritage community to boil their own blood about what didn't really happen. The podcast where wishful thinking is kicked back to Middle Earth, where it bloody well belongs. I am public historian Paul Bavel, and I am here with the researcher of rage, Kyle Glover. Hello! Um, This week, dear ragers, we are here to take a swipe at popular history and popular thought, and to guide us on this trip into the unknown and the barely thought out, we are joined by historian, author, blogger and YouTuber, Josh Proven. Josh, welcome to History Rage. I'm glad to be here, Paul. It's very nice of you to have me on. You're welcome. Feeling angry? I'm getting there. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn, but I'll get there. Okay, well, consider that fuse lit. Now, you've come to us by recommendation from our previous rager. Both Brad St. Croix recommended you and Marcus Cribb. And you did send me a bio, but I wonder if you'd just give our baying mob of history ragers a rundown of your work and how you ended up where you are. Well, I started off as a blogger. Uh, and and it was my idea to to utilize the nonsense uh, legion of facts that I had accrued in my in my never ending search of a novel to write. It was a way of not annoying my friends and family with constantly saying, "Oh my goodness, did you know what happened in 1588 on a Tuesday?" Um, and stuff like that. So I could just do it silently, and I could practice writing, and people liked it. So I continued writing, and then eventually I got a book. Uh, out of it. Two books, actually. The first book I wrote was about the British in Japan in the Victorian age, and the second one is about, simply put, the Duke of Wellington in India. That's how I got here, and that's my work. So technically, I, I seem, I, I have fallen into the niche of being a, uh, known as a specialist for British colonial history. And what moved you from blogging to YouTubing? I think it was a, nat- a fairly natural progression, to be honest. I'd always liked the idea of trying to do things, giving things a slightly more personal edge. And like I say, part of the reason I did the blog was because I didn't want to bore people I knew by just talking about history all the time. Called insecurity, I don't don't know, whatever. Uh, So talking to a camera, although I'm not 
not not like the best at it at the moment, uh, is something I've always been interested in. So I started the YouTube channel, picked up a few people. Then when the pandemic started, I actually took it seriously, started interviewing people. And we hit a thousand subscribers a few days ago. So I think it's just sort of a natural way to go. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we tried it ourselves, but I I have to say, like spending a day, two days writing, a day filming, two, three days editing, and it's like, this is great doing, turn it into a podcast because you do all the work. <laughs> exactly. To be honest, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to do the work for you because in a way, actually creating the stuff is really difficult for me. So coming on and being a guest for people is what I like the best. <laughs> yeah, it so works for us. Okay. So as you say, doing what you like the best, we're going to start confronting why you hate the worst. Josh, with all the emotion that you feel it warrants, would you please tell us what you wish people would just get over? I, I would I would really love it. And, you know, it would do me my soul good if um, people could maybe get over a little bit, even a little bit, it's so widespread, a little bit, the, um, the idea that you must always do a what-if or some sort of comparative thought process for any subject of history especially military history. I'm looking at you, military history people, especially. It's, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's... I know what you yeah. mean. <laughs> the, the, the endless, okay, we have this passage of history. We have this, this actually happened. You know, it's all boxed up. There are things we don't know. There are things we can sort of suspect. We, we can sort of conclude certain things from certain things. But then what, then everybody... And it's a, it's very true on a popular level. This is a lot. This is how a lot of sort of people engage popularly with history. Is oh, but what if this happened? Oh, but what if that happened before that? Oh, what if this guy was here five minutes before the train left? Oh, what if a what if a raindrop fell five kilometers west of Waterloo at five p.m. the Tuesday before? How would that? How would that have changed things? Yeah. You know, this is the stuff that actually has, over the, especially over the last, over the pandemic in the last few years, has started to, to, to grate at me. To the, to the point where if somebody asks me this question, you are risking seeing the very rare Josh meltdown. <laughs> no, I know, I know how you feel. I mean, we, uh, we'd just done, um, uh, History Rage Live at the Trot Valley History Festival, and my second rage was World War II counterfactuals, yeah. and I will come to those, you know, as as part of one of the questions. It's just, ah! <laughs> but yeah, and there were moments of <laughs> release, release. <laughs> so, what? Let, let's start this off then. What's your most annoying? What if? I think that. One of the most annoying what-ifs, and certainly one of the most famous ones, and certainly one of the most egregious ones that just does not die. I mean, Waterloo is one of them, but we won't do that today because everybody talks about Waterloo. It's a really famous one. It's Samurai V's Night. Now, what if a samurai was transplanted into Europe and had to fight a, 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 a knight from the Middle Ages or something like that, right, from the Wars of the Roses? This is a tropey thing from the internet that just is all over the place. And if you, if you look at, if you're reading about Japanese history or medieval history or something like that, eventually someone's going to go, who would win in a battle between a samurai and a knight? What if, what if Richard the Lionheart invaded Japan? You know, stuff like that. What if, and, and you can extend that to other things like, what if Genghis Khan fought Napoleon? You know, what would happen then? And, 
Yeah, but... Yeah. What if the Mongols had atom bombs? Exactly. How would this turn well, out? Well, exactly. That's the first thing I usually say. Okay, so what are the rules for this absurdity then, isn't it? It's like, who has the weapons of mass destruction? Because I'm sorry to those of you who really want Genghis Khan to win that scenario. If we're, if we're, if we're playing the parlor game, and I'll get to this, it's the Battle of the Pyramids happened. So it's, there's, there's no question here, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is... this. The Samurai Reason Night is, circling back, is a really good example of sort of the, 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 of how it all works. You know? You have two really well-known things, pop culture icons, and you mash them together. And then you go beyond the sort of the fun game exercise as a history nerd. And then you actually try and game out some sort of logical scenario. That never happened, and therefore, five hours later, you can look back from this lofty height and and look back at where you started and realise... Having wasted five hours. Exactly, exactly, having wasted five hours and got nowhere, because you're still going to have to go back there to figure out what you were originally talking about. <laughs> I think that's one of the worst ones, one of the most famous as well. Yeah, um, that that is a particularly impressive one because, you know, it, as an inexperienced historian, sort of back in my day, you'd come out with something and the first question, the first very reasonable question is, where are you, what are your sources? And if your source is creepypasta, then... <laughs> <laughs> you know that's going beyond citing wikipedia as a source that's that's good lord yeah i mean how, how often does that sort of trope crop up they made an entire tv series out of that premise really <laughs> yeah 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 there was the, i can't believe kyle knows more about tv than me the, there was a history channel series or something right where they they pitted together elite warriors yeah the elite warrior thing is really ingrained into this entire subject actually you know which elite would win yeah and i suppose really which would win would be which one is the better fighter simple as <laughs> you know. right, well to be honest if you want it if you want to kill the samurai of East knight one dead then that is the answer you say well whichever one was trained better pretty much would win on <laughs> yeah, the day <laughs> yeah whichever one's practice whichever one's yeah you know because uh, as a as a former martial artist, and so you can have all the martial arts training in, uh, that you like, but when I went and learned karate and aikido, what those taught you to fight against was karate and aikido. You know, it's like almost a black belt in karate. I would get my ass handed to me in any street fight going because they're fighting a completely different style. I just don't know how to defend against that. And here I am talking about samurai versus knights already. Stop me. <laughs> well, to be fair. On a, on a kind of a, just a joking sort of having fun laughing around with your mates level. It does, it, you know, it is fun to just ramble about this sort of nonsense, you know, but people take it really seriously. And that's why, like, this is a pop, very pop culture reference, this one. You, the military history ones, like I said before, are some of the worst defenders. And in the Napoleonic Wars, it is off the scale. It's like World War Two. You know, yeah. it's everybody wanting to change history and try and make you believe that it could have happened this way and it could not have happened any other way. You know, it's, it drives me nuts. How much of these sort of what ifs, these counterfactuals are trying to excuse 
excuse what happened rather than to get a better understanding of what, what happened. You know, if it hadn't been so muddy at Agincourt, the French would have won, you know, that kind of thing. Personally, I think that the majority of all these counterfactuals and what-ifs and all this genre of historical discussion is in some way trying to pardon what happened if you don't think it happened the, it, the, the way it should have happened, or it's trying to dis distract you from some, some, issue, some other issue. You know, the, the Agincourt one is a very good example. You know, not, I don't think many people are on the side of the French except the French or the English. You know, there's, nobody's arguing a massive amount about, about how hard done to the French were that they lost Agincourt exactly. But the, the idea that it was such a failure and they should have won sort of encourages everybody to say, well, you know, it wasn't really their fault. Did they have enough control yeah. over it, the situation? Is that, but, but, you know, stop for a second and think, is that the right question to ask? Yes, the ground was muddy, but the ground was muddy. So why don't we deal with that yeah. first? It was muddy for the English as well, so... What? Exactly. You can yeah. do a whole thing on Ashencore and, yes, and, and how it wasn't just a massed cavalry charge as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the second rage coming right there. <laughs> um, yeah, if you if you turn up with thirty five thousand Frenchmen in a small field that kind of funnels you in and is covered in mud, at what point does a French general go? Oh, this is fine. Well, we can sort this. Yeah. And, uh, and that is the question for me to ask. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, this is they're all. I mean, not to just sort of go down the Agincourt rabbit hole here, but you know, the nobility of the land who are in command of the forces were all horsemen. You know, chevalier is French for knight, mm. means horseman, right? So if you don't know that if your horse slows down over a muddy field, then you haven't been, you know, doing your equitation. So, you know, there are pertinent questions to be asked about the ground, but not, oh, what would have happened if it wasn't muddy? <laughs> because this is obviously yeah. beside the point. Yeah, a better question is what the hell were you thinking? Exactly, exactly. Yes, yeah, so trying to get to the root of that is 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 the point of history, really, isn't it? And uh, it, 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 as you were saying before, World War Two is full of of this sort of thing. I am more familiar of, with it with the whole with Waterloo, and I know you did a po podcast with Zach yeah. about the the woes of Water of woes of Waterloo. But Napo we'll say we'll, we'll frame it as Napoleon, right? Napoleon is a massively controversial figure. And attracts what ifs and counterfactuals like as if he's a magnet. And it just everybody zooms to him because he has this reputation as this god of war, right? And though, and so everybody immediately has to con uh, is then confronted by the brick wall of all the things he did wrong. And who can we blame for that? This is also an interesting thing. It's, this is why it's quite a complicated subject and why people can get really worked up about it, because at the time, people did care about trying to figure out what went wrong. When he went into Russia and when he came out, he himself was was making up propaganda about what went wrong, blaming everybody else, blaming the weather. General Winter in 1812 is one of the big things people blame for Napoleon's defeat. And as, as Kyle was saying before, a lot of what-ifs revolve 
around trying to pardon what, what great people did that may, led to their downfall or led to mistakes and things like that. So people say, well, what if Napoleon happened to do this that day? What if, what if he hadn't been feeling poorly that day? You know, this is the sort of thing. And Napoleon is supposed to be this sort of unbeatable strategist, the guy who revolutionized warfare and stuff like this. So they ask the question, well, how could this have happened then? And it rolls on from there. It's, it's almost, it's, it's very entangled. I'm very surprised, actually, that Kyle hasn't brought up the, um, basically the people that want the Nazis to have won. I, I wasn't going to go there, but... You know, we've yeah. done a whole episode with... Yeah. Oh, let's go there. We've, we've done a whole episode with uh, Wayman Bourne on, like, Werribee's and Stop Thinking That The Wehrmacht Is Cool. You know, and it was one of my great rages, <laughs> is that... And it does kind of a little bit lead into the next question that I've got, which is... People always say, you know, oh, what would Britain would look like if the Nazis had won? And I want to scream into their face, France! That's what Britain would have looked like if the Nazis had won. You have an absolute primary source for five freaking years right there. And just, you don't need to ask that question unless you somehow want the Nazis to win. You know, or Guernsey. Come on, look at Guernsey. That is British territory that is under occupation. Just go and ask. It's it's your race, not mine. (laughs) No, no, it happens with Waterloo. No, it's it's as simple as this. It's as simple as that. It happens with Waterloo all the time. What would happen if Napoleon had won Waterloo? He still would have lost, eventually, is the answer to that question. But you have to then take these diversion routes down these small lanes and stuff to basically create a believable, logical road uh, that that creates victory for him in some way. <laughs> um, it's, 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 uh, you have to, I, I've done it myself, you know, when, in conversations with people about this, when he's, when people say, oh, what would happen if Napoleon won, would, would, would have won Waterloo? Wouldn't we all be speaking French? No, there's the English Channel for a start. There's yeah. going to be a big problem for him doing that. It's this sort of thing, isn't it, where they want to present an alternate version of history that is is rooted in uh, unbeatable logic that Spock would nod sagely at and say, "Well done, old boy. You've 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 done it here." And obviously, nothing. No, it, it could have happened no other way except this way. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, you're on top of the mountain. You're looking back at the start line, and you have to, and and if you're not asking yourself, "How did I get here?" and "What am I actually trying to say?" then you have fallen down the, the rabbit the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, I think the a, again a favorite of the World War Two ones is that that crops up time and time again for me. It's like, what would have happened if Hitler had have invaded Britain? Dude, what do you think the Battle of Britain was? It was the opening move of that, and he got his ass handed to him. It's like it happened, <laughs> and, yes. and and I'll I'll I will throw the that, that question in there. Then he's kind of now that we see these all the time. How is the counterfactual and the what if? actually getting in the way of the study of what did happen. I, I think of it that it gets in the way just because it distracts you from the main point that you're supposed to be focusing on. I think that this doesn't necessarily happen in, in terms of the people writing the history, although there is a 
there is a sort of a place for counterfactuals and things like that within scholarship and, and writing and historical interaction. But at a public level, you know, for the person on the street who's just a fan of history, who reads about history, wants to inform themselves about history, and actually it's also really important in, in politics because history is, is sort of weaponized for politics all the time, and what-ifs are a big part of that. I think that what-ifs are, are massive distractions from the main point of, of what is trying to be said and studied. I think that if someone, I think that if someone reads or watches something about a war or a battle or a piece of, a piece of law or something that happened culturally and they say, but what if, what if this happened? The answer to that is, why are you asking that question? Why are you saying what, why are you saying what if that happened? Why aren't you saying why did that happen? Why, why, why aren't you digging deeper into the actual story before going spinning out of control somewhere else? Is it it it, it it's it clouds the issue. It can needlessly confuse it, mm. and it is a pain in the neck to have to 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 deal with all the time because you don't want to shut people's enthusiasm down either. You know, people are very enthusiastic about history, but and it can be dampening when someone just goes and says. Nobody has time for counterfactuals. I mean, there's, there's a line, there's a line in the new True Grit, I think. It's said by the lawyer at the, near the beginning where he goes something like, uh, I have no time for counterfactuals. The truth is bad enough. And mm. that is, that, that is like the real case of it. That I have much less time for counterfactuals, generally speaking, than, because it's, di it's difficult enough to find out what happened. 500 years ago, 200 years ago, 70 years ago, let alone trying to figure out what might have happened if something just a little different happened three days before. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you think we've got, it's a case of like easy historical thoughts or pseudo historical thought can can just enter into that because if you're starting to bang on about a counterfactual you don't actually have to back that up with a primary source you don't actually have to back it up with a with a with a fact it can be simply you know they, this is this is my opinion and you start getting into that opinion presenting it as, as fact kind of area and you think it's just oh. like an easy get out to rather than going and having to go down the national archives and find out what actually did happen there, there is definitely that to it, to be honest. Um, it's a counterfactual often, first of all, 
or or what if requires no no burden of proof to be proved uh, beyond creating a reasonably logical course of events. And this is why it becomes silly after a certain point. You know, someone might say, and this happened, and had it not happened, this might have happened. And that's technically where it should always stop, because the answer to that, what if that what what if this happened, is actually, we don't know, because it didn't happen. Yeah. The burden of proof... Is, is, is in a way eliminated, which is a very bad thing from a scholarly point of view, uh, when you start going too seriously down these roads uh, as, and trying to, to show uh, it's so, so like labyrinth, actually, when you get into it with some people, because it's like you'll start here, you'll start with one basic assumption that might have been different. But... One of the great flaws of this sort of pseudo-history, alternate history, is the fact that you do you have hindsight, and theoretically you do have all the information, you have, you have quite a lot of information to help you kind of make educated guesses about how things might have gone, but you have no evidence nor any way to prove that the individual or subject that you're talking about would have acted in that way despite it being highly logical, perhaps, that they would have, because that human being, there's no way of knowing exactly what that person knew at the time. There's no way of knowing what factors were playing on him at the time. And again, therefore, it moots itself in the end and can really not really be anything much more than a parlor game or a, something for sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of college-level analysis sort of thing where you try and throw ideas around the room to get people going, you know. It's like, it's, this is why it's so annoying that you, that, that you, can, get, you can get totally derailed on really, really deep analysis on something that never happened based only on the facts that you know happened before that. This is where the whole what general would have won against what general thing happens. Basically, you are then forced to to appear with a great amount of stats. How many battles did he win? How many men averaged did he have? How many how much resources did he have any given year? And you have to, that's the only way to do that. But people also want to try and uh, add in the unquantifiable factor. They want to, They also want to add in the X factor, and there it turns back to what you were saying before about you don't need to prove it, you just need to believe it yourself. This is why Napoleon will never be seen as a terrible general or like just a general who won sometimes and lost sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and why people will always say, well, Nazi Nazi Britain in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I see the thing is with that, going back to the, like, the, the Nazi Britain thing, I mean, we couldn't predict his actions then, let alone now. You know, that might make no sense <laughs> exactly. at all. He can make a single logical decision in his career, and yet people are devoting so much time to going, oh, well, he would have done this. Really? Save us from this line of questioning. Okay, so we've spent some time going over the disadvantages and the bad points of counterfactuals, um, but are there any ways in which they can actually uh, be useful? I, I do think there are ways that they can be useful. So first of all, I think that there, there are actually, despite my... 
despite them completely sort of irritating me nowadays, really, whenever I see one, my initial reaction is, ugh, not again. But they can be useful, in a first of all, in a fun way. Like I said before, if you're just hanging out with people, you all love history, and you want, and you're in a conversation about something and someone, and it's perfectly, it's, 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 it's quite fun, it's nice to fool around with history, you know, to say, how might that have gone? I think that war gamers can relate to this, you know, people who play out battles and stuff like that, uh, take command of the armies as they were on a particular day and see if they can win the battle, etc., mm-hmm. on the tabletop or something like that. Uh, I think that is a really sort of useful, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's a fun way, I think it can be quite useful sometimes as well, to have those sort of, that sort of questioning in your head now and again, so long as it doesn't completely derail you down some other path which gives the subject the significance it doesn't really deserve. I also think that if you escape from the, like the military what-if, then for things like the course of nations, the way nations developed and things like that, it can be interesting to have a look or to investigate to a certain point the development of constitutions and things like that and how they affect us today and how they might have affected things that, uh, yeah, how, how they might have affected the course of world history. It's also interesting as well. Counterfactuals can be used as well to assign responsibility or blame. We sort of spoke about this before, where people want to pardon people, right? Well, the other side of that is you can use it to accuse people as well. So who was really responsible for actual war breaking out in the American Revolution. To do that, you would have to eliminate all the other possible paths that America and Britain could have taken, see which one of them the most logical, uh, given sort of the policies and whatnot of the day. Mm. And from that, you might be able to gather who is the most responsible, who is the driving force here. No, it it can be an inquisitive sort of tool, I think. So it is quite useful, and it can be quite fun. But you must always sort of understand that in the end, this did not happen. And it's much better, therefore, to to study, uh, to not cloak the issue and to look at what actually did happen. So I don't want to be too hard on people who who do this, because, you know, people people can have fun. I've done it before as well. We've all probably done it as well. Uh, but well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're quite guilty of yeah. this because we, in our in our kind of living history plan, we've we actually created a show which was Can You Play the Cuban Missile Crisis? Yeah. And it, it, it is completely f- fictional. It wasn't designed for it uh, to, you know, take something that you're, you're not as good as Kennedy, you, you managed to end the world. But it was, it became an exercise in what we want to do is we want to put that player or that family group or that school classroom and we want to put them and make them feel the pressure. I, I agree. Yeah, I think the, that's the, like, stake, the stakes are that high. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's another really good, useful way. If you want to try and, I, I, re- I re- uh, during the pandemic, the second round of it, we'll call it, uh, I did um, uh, a Kriegerspiel game with a bunch of guys on the on the Waterloo campaign. And that is essentially supposed to give you the uh, idea. It was a, invented by the Prussian Staff College, and it was supposed to give people an idea of what it was like to command an army and operate without perfect information. 
And obviously, once you take the reins of a project like that, once you take control of your little map forces and you start playing it out and things start to happen, you start taking responsibility for certain things. And it will give you an idea of the, of how difficult it actually is to do the things that we read about. You know, for the actual history to happen the way it did, they didn't have perfect information. They didn't know how the enemy was going to react. Mm-hmm. Everything was a what if to them at that time. You know, the what if actually has a literal, um, application in reality of getting things done in history. A general, who is trying to defeat his enemy must be asking, well, what if they take that road? What if they take that road? It's making allowances for those things that, you know, separates the the men from the boys, essentially. So I agree entirely. I think that a what-if is also very useful if you want to try and get just a little sense of of the weight of of the weight of history, if you like. Um, how far can you stretch these points though, especially considering many of these are exercises that are trying to prove a negative? Well, yes, I think we've been circling around this point for a few questions now. Um, You can stretch the point as long as you want in a certain space, right? You can, you can send, you can send Alexander the Great to the moon if you want to, if you, if you give him the technology. You can have him fighting Darius of Persia uh, on a moonscape with laser, you know, laser guided missiles and things. I'd buy that book. I know, right? Uh, this is that's the other thing. It's really good for fiction. You know, counterfactuals <laughs> and watches are really good for fiction. They sell books, so you know, creatively speaking, that's another plus for them. But if you're trying to figure out if you if what you want to do is to find out the actual conse- like the actual consequences of history and things like that, they they don't help as much. I think that you therefore you like I said before, the most honest thing you can do is to appreciate, try and appreciate as much as possible the options that were there for people in history, no matter what they were doing, whether it was like lawmaking or trying to win a war or trying to uh, affect some sort of social change or something like that, um, or just trying to get along in the world, to be honest, if you go like, into social and cultural history. I think that the most honest thing you can do with that is to see what options were available to them that they knew of trying to deduce that in some cases. Sometimes they have letters that tell you exactly what that was, but try and figure out that. And once you've figured out that, admit that you do not know and cannot know where those mm. are, those diverting roads might have led those people and whether or, or, at any level. And then continue on having acknowledged that this is where history could have took a turn left or right. We don't know what could have happened there because, like you say, a lot of those roads lead to things that never happened. And if you go down those roads trying to prove what your sort of logical course of events, then you are literally trying to prove a negative. It's like it's like in the American Civil War, okay? And everybody take cover because whenever that, whenever that word is mentioned, everybody takes cover because, you know, fights are going to break out left, right, and center. You know, what if, what if the, the Confederates freed the slaves? Yeah. Well, it didn't happen. Yeah. So you don't know. Hmm. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Everything else is speculation. (laughs) Yeah. You could say, well, the war would have stopped, but would it? I'm not sure. 
you know, I'm not one of these people that says that the American Civil War is not fought over slavery, but it's fought over a great many things as well as slavery as well. So I don't think that would stop anything. And that's pretty much where we have to stop with yeah. Batman News, because you, like you say, you don't know, you don't know what happened next at all. If Battle of Bosworth, what if Stanley had have joined Richard of York's side? Well, There's, there is nothing in that that says Richard III wouldn't have been killed at Bosworth. So, you know, Henry's still king because this is the only claimant on the field. It, that is why it's irritating. It's not that it's not fun. It's not that it can't be useful sometimes to sort of sit in the shoes of someone else and see what might have happened if, 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 you, were, if you were in charge. It's just that it didn't happen. So we can't take it massively seriously or take that as any sort of gui- realistic guide uh, of uh, an alternate course of history is the thing. That's why, it's, that's why it can get irritating when... It, it, it just crops up all the time, and you keep getting the same old answer, uh, question about what if this happened, what if that happened, what if that happened? Because actually, it's a spiraling, it's a spiraling thing. You ask one what if, and you will get five thereafter, and all of them are based on negatives and air. Yeah. In summary, we shouldn't take it as seriously as it is taken. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Moving into like. It's similar to counterfactuals, and this is a question that you you kind of threw in there for us, so thank you very much. So, similar vein to this sort of thing, the use of parallels, and where do you stand on them? Parallels are, I think, overused. I think that there are, there's a massive temptation to ignore Mark Twain's, if he actually said it, I, I now no longer, no longer know what Mark Twain said and didn't say, but if he actually said the words, uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, you're ignoring that if you rely too much on parallels to kind of make some sort of significant point about what you're saying. Can you give us an example of like overused parallel? See, okay, it, within the within the study of siege warfare, you get a lot of people arguing about when the first time trench warfare uh, or modern warfare, as as it is as it is understood today in World War One and Two terms, existed. Right, uh, this happens in the American Civil War a lot. I mean, the American Civil War, you'll get a lot of people saying that this is the beginning of modern warfare because these guys are digging rifle pits and trenches and fighting in them. And they'll say a parallel, and they'll, they'll give a parallel example of, you know, what happened on the Eastern Front in World War I. You know, this is, this is a prototype of that, and it mirrors that, this mirroring idea. That's, a, that's an example of, of what a parallel is used for, and quite a popular one. Anytime anybody digs a trench where it is not necessarily, where it's not necessarily... Uh, related to attacking a fortress, is usually going to use a parallel somewhere about World War One and the birth of modern warfare. And it's not necessarily accurate, I feel. And it is quite annoying when this keeps cro- cropping up in that instance, and there are other instances that escape in a second, but when that keeps cropping up, because people understood about you know digging trenches and hiding behind things to fight for a very, very long time before the 20th century. Uh, and therefore it gives you a kind of a, a kind of, a, again, it, it kind of just, I think it just kind of throws people off a little 
you know, they, they make the, they get presented with these sort of connections which aren't really there. Uh, if anything, if anything, World War One, that parallel is, should be seen in reverse. That World War One is essentially siege warfare that has been continuing on for hundreds and hundreds of years. It, it, just on a grand scale. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Josh, and thank you very much for bringing um, not just uh, a rage about history, but a rage about not history as well. You are the first non-historical history rager that we've had on. Yes, fake history. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, my pleasure. I was uh, so glad that I was recommended for this, and you listened to them. Oh, that's that's brave. <laughs> <laughs> we are courageous here on History Rage. Put the rage into courage. Well, if you'd like to know more about Josh's work, then you can start by buying the excellent book, Wild East, and we'll have links to that in the History Rage bookshop. And you should also subscribe to the excellent YouTube channel, Adventures in Historyland, and we will have a link to that in the show notes as well. And don't forget, of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Land of History. So once again, Josh, thank you very much for putting the counterfactual in the ground where it belongs. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Bavel. And I'm at Kyle G History. And if you subscribe to us on Patreon, you're really helping us meet the cost of podcasting. Your £5 per month will get you early episodes, a whole season in advance. It'll get you the invite to put questions to future guests and, of course, the coveted History Rage mug. And you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash History Rage. But until next week, thank you very much for listening, and stay angry. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.